I'm Jennifer Grayson, and this is the Uncivilized Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm Jennifer Grayson here in urban Los Angeles, bringing you the stories of people who have left behind our modern industrialized existence to pursue radically different lives, off the grid lives in the 21st century. Today's guest is the truly remarkable Allegra Alley. If you don't know her work yet, and the Wildborn Project, you are about to be blown away. She is an ethnographer, a photographer, an explorer, and through the Wildborn Project, which she founded, she travels to some of the most remote corners of the earth to document and explore the traditional knowledge of indigenous motherhood. Just to give you an example of one of the places she recently went, uh, she spent 50 days living with a migrating Nenet family on the Siberian tundra. We're talking about negative 35 degrees Celsius temperatures. You're going to hear more about some of the other amazing places she's been in just a moment. Uh, Make sure you listen all the way through because not only do we talk about the incredible logistics it takes to plan these trips and for her to immerse herself um, with some of these tribes, but we also talk about the very first expedition she went on when she was just 17 years old. So super cool conversation. I think you're really, really going to enjoy the show. Make sure you listen all the way through. Before we jump in, I just want to thank you all so much for your support, for your uh comments, for your reviews, for your guest suggestions. If you haven't yet, please take a moment on iTunes to leave us a rating and review. I would be so grateful. I just want to let you know we will be going on a little bit of a hiatus over the winter break while I travel with my family. We don't know where yet, but I will be posting those pictures on Instagram. That's at Jennifer Grayson one, where you can also follow all the other ways that I am on I am uncivilizing in my own life, and I wish you all a wonderful and happy and healthy new year, and I will be back sometime in mid-January with a new episode. When I talked to you last time, you were expecting Noah. Now you're a mother. Um, I was actually just looking at pictures of Noah on your Instagram page in Tonga being rocked in a woven cradle. I know. Isn't that gorgeous? He's so beautiful. (laughs) He's so beautiful. Congratulations. Thank you so much. He he loved it so much. He really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it was just such a wonderful experience with him. He was still, you know, very young. He was four months old at the time. But, um, you know, his eyes were just like wide open all the time and he was just looking around him and he loves people and people loves him back. You know, he's, he's been really adored by the local people there in Tonga and always people wanted to hold him and he's such a, no, he just loves people. He's not, not one of those, um, babies that starts crying or screaming when he sees a stranger or when a stranger approaches him he just he loves humans <laughs> it was just it's so great um to well, travel with him i can imagine well looking at that picture i was just thinking this is how it's supposed to be you know there's supposed to be lots of people <laughs> surrounding babies and loving them and you know sharing in the joy and uh 
it doesn't surprise me that, you know, he's kind of fallen mm. right into the way it's it's supposed to be. Oh, no, no, it's, um, it's really, we've been really, really lucky. He is super comfortable in flights as well. We had a lot of um, long flights from Australia all the way to Israel and then back to Europe and then back to Australia and to Tonga. And we've done it like three times back and forth. And we had, you know, days where with 10 and 11 hours flight and he was just, you know, sleeping the whole time. <laughs> That's I know. crazy. It's, it's actually a great age to travel with. I, my mm. friends were always so nervous to travel with their babies and I, it doesn't get harder until they start to, until they're like two and they really want to run around and explore and they don't understand why they have to be confined in an airplane for 14 hours. But <laughs> this age, how old is Noah now? He's seven months. Oh, so. he's seven months. Seven yeah. Months. I mean, mm -hmm. it's with my kids, I, I thought too, like I just took them everywhere. I mean, not as far as you've taken taken Noah, but you know, it's it's just a wonderful yeah. age. Having witnessed so many births, you know, and spent all that time witnessing births in a traditional birth setting and um, really exploring this topic, when it, when it came time to your own birth, what was the thing that surprised you the most? You know, like every woman has that moment when she actually goes into labor for the first time where you're like, oh, this is what it's like. So did, did you have that moment? Did anything surprise you? Well, look, I mean, nobody can really prepare herself um, to, to the real moment, right? Because we all have this image in our heads and, um, you know, all kinds of, of perceptions about how it should look like, how it should feel. And I think... Working on the Wild One project helped me a lot in kind of maintain, maintaining, not maintaining, um, what's the right word, it will be, it helped me to um, reduce a lot of, of the pressure and, and even fear from, you know, what I felt was the unknown. Because I think the image that we have in the West growing up is, is not a very positive image of what birth should look like um, and how it should feel like. And so growing up in our society, I feel that I've, you know, I've taken in a lot of this wrong, the wrong image of, of, of birth. And I think that throughout the years working on a wildborn project, I've it really helped to heal me and heal. Um, I don't know a lot of the way I view the way I view birth, and and for that I'm very very grateful. Um, I think that was the most significant thing for me personally about you know, journeying with the Wild One project. And I had the privilege to attend a few births, um, working, you know, during my time working on a project. And being in the, you know, in a shared space with indigenous women who, is, who birth is quite extraordinary. And I've came to realize that the way indigenous women birth is completely different to the way 
a woman birth in the West. And so that was very surprising. Um, and it was a great, you know, discovery for me. And, and so slowly, slowly, I've started to <laughs> kind of change my perception towards my own birth and how I would want my own birth to look like. And, and so, you know, and when the, when the moment came and I was, you know, in labor, I was actually not thinking or imagining so much of what I've experienced or what I saw, what I encountered or what I've researched. Um, and I was more present in my own body. And I think, I think at that moment, I wasn't, I wasn't in a different, I wasn't in a different world. I wasn't in, 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 in my head. I was just experiencing what every moment, you know, revealed itself. So it was, I was obviously very inspired by, um, the natural way of, of birthing, but, um, when it came to my own birth, um, I was, I was not, <laughs> I was not able to think or to imagine or to, I don't know, do some kind of exercise for, <laughs> for my body or my mind. Uh, I just, you know, I was just being very me, very natural, and was just flowing with everything that I felt. And, you know, it was, I assume, like most births are, you know, it was nothing special. It was, it was painful. It was um, at times, you know, um, a bit scary because I wasn't know how am I going to continue cope with, you know, with, with, with pain. Um, but I was surrounded by a group of wonderful people, you know, midwives and my doula and my mother and my husband. And, you know, so that was very comforting and made me feel very secure and surrounded by love and feeling nurtured and, you know, safe, which is, I think the most important thing. Were you home? Were you in a hospital? No, I was I was at a hospital. Yes, I was at a hospital in Sydney, Australia, and um, I had a, a water birth, so that was very special. Um, and yes, I was I was overwhelmed by the experience, and you know it was extraordinary. It was powerful and empowering, but at the same time, it was you know it was hard. It was it was hard work and it was, um, it's, it's difficult going through it moment by moment and not knowing when it's going to happen, when the baby's going to come out and what's going to happen along the way. So it's, um, it's a very significant moment in my life and I believe in every woman's life. And I just, I think Coming out of this experience, I feel so much stronger um, as a as a woman, as a human being, and so much more capable 
you know, I feel like I'm capable of doing anything. Like I, like I've received almost like a, a superhuman power. Yeah. You know? After giving birth, I, I just feel like I can do anything. Like nothing can stop me. And I think it's such a huge gift to receive if we are open to that. Um, and so it can be very, very empowering experience. And I think for me, that that's the most you know that for me that's what I took most from my birthing experience is to you know I, I became stronger and more confident yeah I feel this I feel the same way too I feel like the stuff that I worried mm -hmm. about before before I had two children seems so insignificant and I you know I just I, I think about it all the time it it, it truly the person I am before and the person I am after are almost like two different people. Um, so yeah, I you know, it's funny because I was looking through one of your recent posts and I think it was a repost about one of the Himba women you worked with mm -hmm. for the Wildborn Project. And you had said, to have the opportunity to give birth in a supportive, natural way is a life-enhancing event. Mm -hmm. Did you? So did you write that before or after you had Noah? No, it was before. Oh, okay. It it was it was before I had Noah. I mean, so but it turns out. I mean, it was prophetic. That's what happened. It sounds like for you. Absolutely, it was it was life changing. I think working on the project was a, a an incredible life life journey to me. I've learned so much um, about womanhood, about myself. I've evolved. I I've grown so much from it, and. Um, I've healed a lot from from working on it, and and yes, absolutely. After giving birth, I've you know completely, completely tr transformed my life completely. And you know, also, um, it changed our lives as a, as a family. You know, we are now parents, so uh, parenting together is is something on its own as well. It's um, I'm not alone in this, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's, you know, it's my life changed, but also our life changes as, as, as a couple and, and we became parents and it's, it's just extraordinary, um, yeah. journey to go through. So tell me, together. Well, I, I feel like I really want to back up and go to the beginning with you, but first just tell me how, okay. so how did you meet your husband? Well, I met Erez, um, working at, on, in the Red Sea as a, a diving instructor, and that was in 2009. And um, my boss, my boss at that time, um, is, is a very good friend of Erez. And um, I was, um, <laughs> um, I was actually a big fan of Erez before before we met, and I knew that he was. Um, um, a free diver and an underwater photographer and I've always you know um, I was occasionally visiting his website and you know just reading and about his work and what he's doing and, oh so when you say a fan you mean so, a real fan not just you had a crush you mean you he actually was someone's <laughs> worst work you followed okay yeah I was I was um yeah, I was kind of, I was stoking him. I was really, I had a crush on him, a big crush on him. <laughs> and so when I knew that um, my boss was, at the time, Erez was living in, in Australia. And um, I've just, 
accidentally once heard my boss uh, talking to one of his friends and said, Ares is coming to, to visit us and, and he's going to stay with us for a few days. And, um, and I've kind of made a connection that, you know, it's the same areas that I've been following and, and admiring for, for so much. And so, um, I, I actually approached him, my boss, and I asked him if, if he'll be willing to introduce us. And, and so, um, he agreed and he organized, um, a dinner for, for us together. And that's how we met basically. <laughs> so we had a, a beautiful dinner and, um, fortunately for me, it was, the feelings were mutual and um, he expressed uh, interest in me as well, I guess. And so we, it was very fast. Everything happened very fast for us. We fell in love and we spent um, beautiful three months together in, in the Red Sea. He stayed, he prolonged his stay in Israel just to stay with me. And after that, we've started um, working on my visa to join him and move move with him in you know to Australia so everything happened really really fast and um, we knew straight away that we meant to be together yeah that's so I can yeah. tell from your voice these are really good memories <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how lovely so wait so when you met him at that time so you were you're from Israel originally that's right okay yes. so um and you in Israel at the time Okay, so you were at Israel at the time, and were you uh, working, pursuing your career as like an ethnographer then, or uh, were you working as a free dive? Tell me what, what you were doing before, right before you met him and back okay. in 2009. So I, I was always interested in ethnography and anthropology, and I was always curious about other cultures, and always I was always thinking and, and planning to go um, and, and travel to these places and immerse myself um living in a community and um learning about their ways of life and that curiosity started at a very young age i remember when i was 11 years old actually it was the first time that i planned my real expedition to the congo really um, Central africa yeah yes i've kind of you know i have i have this beautiful documents that shows you know all the little details about what I'm going to take with me to the expedition and what I'm going to do there and what I'm going to explore there. So, yeah, it all started at a very young age. But where did this um, come from? Did you come from an exploring family? Are your parents world travelers? Like, how did it no, start? No. Well, what do your parents do? Like, tell me about your upbringing. Well, my parents, um, my, my mother worked um, as, you know, at at the police, <laughs> she's she's a, a police officer. Re wow! Uh, but I, we should say in Israel that's not that uncommon, right? I mean, there are women in the military, there are women police yes, officers. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, absolutely, absolutely. And um, my dad, uh, I I'm not sure I'll know how to say that. His his um, how to define his work in English. Sorry about that. That's I'll okay. have to look at it. Yeah. What, what's it in Hebrew? My Hebrew is not great, but maybe I can help. Okay. It's called Ma'am. It's like a governmental uh, body that that works on taxing. Like 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 taxes? Yeah, something like that. Okay, but so, all right. So he was... <laughs> Just ordinary jobs. You're not like doing anything. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll take some of that out. Your father had a... He was not, he was not an ethnographer. He was not traveling the world. He worked 
you know, no, my parents, in some government just, yeah. <laughs> capacity. It's it, it just very simple jobs. But my father always loved traveling and um, not overseas, but in Israel and growing up, you know, he took us all the time to the wilderness and um, he was a great storyteller. And so I was very influenced by, you know, nature walks, doing a lot of nature walks with him. Um, do but brothers and sisters? So different, you know, yes, I do. I have a younger sister and an older brother and um, we all took very different paths in life. So I guess, I guess a lot of it is just a very natural curiosity, you know, just growing up. It's, it's my nature, you know, it's, I've always felt very comfortable in nature um, always loved animals and I was always very curious about, um, you know, there's art and in particular tribal art and, um, yeah, and just stories about exploration. It was just something that interests me. And I remember growing up, we didn't have a lot of books in our house, but we did have one encyclopedia like book series and I used to, you know, kind of <laughs> look and, and search for those little pictures with those small paragraphs that describes other cultures and the way they live. And that's how I've discovered most of the places that I wanted to explore and I wanted to visit. Um, so, you know, it was back in a time when there was no internet and information was just, just very little. And we only had that book series. So I really, you know, I could just sit hours looking at one small photo and just let my imagination grow and grow and just go wild. And that really what happens because I remember growing up as a child, um, I would sit in a classroom and just I would daydream about, you know, me just going and disappearing in a jungle and living, living with the tribe and you know, participating in everything that they do. And um, it's that, that, that was my childhood. These are, you know, the most <laughs> kind of memorable moments of my, of my childhood. Um, so I was very much within my own world, within my own bubble. And my imaginative world just, you know, just got stronger and stronger growing up. Um, until I was 17 years old, that's where I've made a my decision to to travel to my first destination. I, I, you know, I felt confident enough and I felt independent enough, and uh, the passion just was so strong. And that's where I decided to leave high school and to not go to the army. Okay, so wait, hold on a second. You, so you're 17 years old. This is 1997. No, that's correct. Okay. Yes. I think we're, so are you 38? We're, 39. You're 39. Okay. We're, we're about the same age. I'm about to turn 39. Okay. So you yes. drop, you dropped out of high school? That's right. Okay. Last year. Okay. And last the last year. year and you said, mom and dad, I am going to explore. I planned this beginning when I was 11 years old and I'm taking off and I'm going to go on my first expedition. Well, were, I mean, not just, were they just that? Yeah, I announced that I'm gonna travel by myself to Papua New Guinea, and you know, <laughs> back then in 1997, Papua New Guinea was very unexplored by by tourists. Um, so it was really going to the unknown. There was just no information, no maps that I had, no nothing. I just basically, um, you know, I wanted to to leave with just 
you know, what I've kind of imagined, the way I saw Papua in my head. That's all I had. And That's your family, I... and how did your family feel about it? Were they supportive? Did, did people oh, say you're yes. crazy? <laughs> it's quite yeah, an well, adventure. Up, <laughs> yes, well, growing up, I, 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 was, I was a bit isolated um, socially, so it wasn't, you know, obviously the, the world that I was, you know, attracted to um, and, and enjoyed were, were not the same <laughs> as, you know, my, the, the, the children and, and, you know, in, in my classroom, they were, you know, they were thinking about other things, not about <laughs> disappearing in, in the jungle. Um, right. So it was, it was, it was, it was difficult to find the same language and, and to, to enjoy the company of other kids, you know, um, or other people in general, because it, it was just, you know, it was just so unusual um, growing up in Israel at that time and, and just being obsessed with, with going and exploring faraway places. It was just not, was not the normal. So, um, so yeah, it was considered to be very strange and very weird by other children. And so, um, and I think that's actually what made me, um, feel stronger about leaving, about wanting to leave. Um, yeah, just feeling like, like I have to do it. I have to do it. I have to go. I have to, to, to feel it and see it and experience it myself. And my parents, um, I think, you know, we still have discussions about it today, by the way. Sometimes I ask my mom, you know, how did you let me go? Um, and my mom get asked this all the time. Um, I think my parents were convinced that I'm capable of doing it. I was so independent and so um, self-conscious about the decision to leave and this is something that I saw evolving in me throughout the years. It wasn't just, you know, one day that I kind of, you know, announced that I'm going. Um, and, you know, I've talked about it for many, many years before, but at 17, it was just the time. It was just the right time where many things connected. And it was for me, it was, was a time to go. And so eventually my parents decided to support to support me um, because I think that they both felt that I'm very strong minded and I see myself very fortunate, you know, to, to have, um, to have m my parents being so willing and so trusting, um, you know, but I'm also, you know, looking back <laughs> And obviously, becoming a mother today, and and um, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm also, I also have a lot of question questions about 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 how how did I actually felt comfortable letting me go to such a you know such a faraway place? Um, yeah, I think about that. Have, all, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they actually knew that I'm also not going to be able to contact them. A lot because um, and I had no phone, of course, and uh, the only you know reasonable way to communicate with them was you know sending letters at that time by by mail. 
Um, and so I think I was in Papua New Guinea close to three months in total. And they only received two letters from me. That was the only time of communication between us. Um, which I cannot even think what was going through my mother's head, you know, um, knowing that I'm just <laughs> somewhere in the jungle and she has no way to know if I'm okay or yeah. no way for me letting her know that I'm okay. But you know what? It was a, it was a different time, Allegra, and we forget about that now because we're so connected all the time. I mean, I wasn't in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, but at the same age, I was an emergency medical technician in a small town in Connecticut driving around in a convertible in the snow at three in the morning with the siren on my car, like going to ambulance calls, you know, and my mom was like, okay, sweetie, like, I'll see you in the morning. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to go to France with a class when I was 13 and I just saved money so I can go. And I went and, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't, same thing. Like there was no way to call her from France. I, I remember, I think I just saw her when I got back and we just, parents just trusted more. And at a certain age, like by the time you were 17, I'm sure you were the same way. I was a well-formed person, you know, and I knew what I wanted. And like, you just, there. Mm -hmm. my mom, I always ask my mom, like, how could you have let me done that now that I'm a mom? And she's like, well, I had no choice. It's just who you were, <laughs> you know, and, and that, what could I do? True. Yeah. So, but even still, and, so. And I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. There, there was, no, you're right. There was a certain like naivety back then. And, and honestly, I think it was a safer world back then than it is today. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that, that naivety and, and, and lack of information of not knowing exactly what Papua New Guinea is or what potentially can happen. <laughs> um, I think there's this, those are the sort of things that, you know, helped helped her releasing me to the wild, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure, I mean, of course, I'm sure it, I, as a mother now, I, I'm sure she must have been, uh, yeah, thinking about you nonstop. But so, no, obviously, yeah. she was very worried at times. But. And so, and so what did, so you, did you arrive with any preparation or did you just arrive and then try to make contact with the tribe? Like what, what happened with the trip? Because I know, I mean, from your bio, you lived with isolated tribes, right? Is that what ended up happening? Yes. Okay, yeah. So tell yes, me, how, did. how did that come did. to be? Well, um, first off, I had very little information with me. So I, I just had a general idea of, you know, a geographical location area that I wanted to explore. Um, but I had no maps with me. I had no, I had no idea how to make it happen. Um, so I've, it, it was really just going into the unknown and exploring it myself. And um, I also, I just remember, I also had no fear or no doubt that is this can really happen or what will go wrong or, or will I get lost or will something bad happen to me? I, I just remember at that age, at that time, it was just a sense of a great accomplishment and a, a, a huge desire just to go and experience it wasn't you know fear was not existent at that time in, in in my head at all uh which was you know a big part of my naivety at that time and I was very naive of course 
um, but also very adventurous. And and so I've landed at the capital city, Port Moresby, and I've stayed at a very simple um, bed and breakfast um, in the city. And um, I stayed there a couple of nights and started to ask questions. And people were also very curious about me. So people wanted to help. And, you know, I've, I've, as soon as I landed, you know, people were very inviting and very helpful. Um, and uh, there was one family at one point that um, offered me to stay at their house to, you know, to, to kind of help me and, and, um, and give some support. And so I was, I wasn't, I didn't feel alone. I was always, I always felt supported and I've always felt um, safe. And that's how people over there made me feel. And, and so I just gathered information as I go, as, as I went. And um, by talking to local people, interacting with local people, and sometimes being guests at, you know, local people' homes, and and so it it you know I I knew that at, at the first the first time I've landed I wanted to um, do a very specific trek. It's called the Kokoda trek. It's a very famous trek. Um, a lot of military uh, special forces are doing their <laughs> uh, some of their exercises um, there because it's it's known to be one of the the most difficult um, treks to exist. And so, and when you say trek uh, um, in America, are you talking about a trail? Uh, yeah. Or is the, yes. Okay. Got yeah. it. Okay. So, so it, this is an existing ten day trail that people do go there to go experience exactly okay got it um, but only if you do that because the you know the the level of difficulty and um obviously I, I had no idea at that time how difficult that will be but i also knew that there are some villages um in in that specific area that i really wanted to you know to to visit and perhaps stay stay for for a while. So do you and have do you have gear with you? Are you camping on the trail? What are you eating? Are you stopping in villages along the way? No, so I first um I you know from the capital city from Port Moresby I took like um like a, I don't know like a minibus to to um one of the starting points of that specific trail and um I had you know I had my backpack with me um, I had really nothing special in my backpack other than, you know, um, trekking shoes and some clothing and uh, a bottle of water and a couple of sandwiches that I've taken with me um, <laughs> from <laughs> the day before. So I wasn't really prepared well for that, <laughs> for that journey. <laughs> like I said, it was a lot of naivety. Yeah. Um, and also I had no role models, really. I had no one in my environment and my surrounding growing up that have done something like that or someone I could talk to. Um, yeah, there was no like Instagram so, outdoor women adventurers yeah. group. There was just nothing. Yeah, there, nothing right. Like so I had no idea what to, what, you know, I had no planning. It was, it was literally no planning. It was just my, you know, 
just me and my imagination. <laughs> and a couple of sandwiches. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there, there it was. That's how I started. So, you know, that minibus just stopped in that um, dirt road and told me, just go into that trail and just continue walking. And that's the start of the trail, or at least one of the start, one of the, um, the starting points. And, and that's what happened. And so I've started walking and that's where I've started my adventure and along the trail, that's where I came across, you know, people walking and, um, I mean, local people. And, um, one of them invited me to, um, go with him to his village and stay the night over there. So when you say local, you mean indigenous people? Um, or do yeah, you, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, you, he's what you would consider an indigenous person, yes. Yeah. And so I've started, you know, with, with a total trust. I don't know, I wasn't feeling that this person is going to hurt me or is going to do something bad or take advantage of the situation. I think he was just as surprised to see me there by myself um, as much as I was, you know, surprised, um, to see him. And so we've walked together and we arrived at the village and I was a guest at, um, his family house. And, and then, um, a few days later, one of his, um, family member, a young man, um, became, became my guide. And so, uh, we started we started walking together we started properly walking together the the trail just me and him and we walked approximately 4 days until i got injured and i wasn't able to walk anymore and he had to carry me on his back crossing rivers and climbing mountains it was a nightmare and at one point we also got lost and we saw snakes and i got leeches all over my body it was really really tough um yes and uh and then um um i had to be evacuated by helicopter to the hospital So that was my first introduction to Papua New Guinea. Oh my goodness. And after recovering um, in Port Moresby again, um, I flew to a different region called the Sepik. Uh, and I wanted to uh, cross the Sepik River, which... So you weren't deterred? Is- that what, that didn't send you no, home? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely no, absolutely not. I was just uh, more and more intrigued. <laughs> and... <laughs> And there I was. Um, that was the second major, you know, kind of journey in Papua New Guinea was crossing the Sepik River uh, by a wooden canoe. So I was there for several weeks on the river and stopping by nearby villages. Um, and some of them were very, very remote um, at that time. It was, it was very, very special, you know, meeting people, um, who, you know, children at the age of 11, 12 years old, who's never, never seen a white person before. And so it was, it was really extraordinary. It was really extraordinary. And were you traveling, and, uh, you were traveling alone then too, or did you have a guide? 
No, I also had uh, what, you know, what we call the guide, but basically it means, you know, just going again and talking to local people and then someone who is friendly, you know, offering to help. <laughs> and so you start journeying together. And, um, and acts as a translator, I can imagine too, right? Well, yes, yes. Um, obviously, the people who approach you, um, some of them could could speak, you know, you know, basic English and at that time. So did I spoke very little English. Oh, that's (laughs) right. Of course, you're Israeli. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, communication was fine. I mean, we didn't have long conversations. It wasn't not about that. It was just being present with each other. And it was a lot of understanding by, you know, looking at each other's eyes or by body language. And that's all you need, really. Yeah. Yeah. And so after mm. after this whole adventure, then was that it for you? You were like, okay, this is this is my future. Where is the next place I go? Uh, what what happened from there to? I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I I, yes. I want to bring you to. So how did you get to Wildborn? Okay, so there was about I would say almost a decade or more than a decade actually, um, of of just you know exploring the world, traveling to different places. Um, but I didn't do something as adventurous as what I have done in Papua New Guinea. Um, I always wanted to return to Papua New Guinea. That was the goal all these years, but it was very difficult to, to, to do that. Um, why was it so so, difficult? Um, logistically, Yes, just for logistic reasons, and I've always, I've always, um, I also wanted to explore other locations, other countries, other you know communities um, before I was before I, I would go back because I always thought that if I'll go back again to Papua New Guinea, I will stay for a long time. I would stay and live there. Wow, and that's that's how I felt, and so. I've traveled, but you know, not as an anthropologist, and not as a, not as a photographer. Just just as Ali, you know, a, a curious human being, and just wanted to experience and, and explore um, for myself. And so I've traveled throughout Africa, South America, Central America, Asia, Middle East. I traveled everywhere. Um, and how were you supporting and- yourself while you were doing all these? travels i was um i was working in different you know different kind of jobs that supported me along the way so i did my throughout my traveling i did my um scuba instructor certificate so i was able to work sometimes as a scuba instructor in south africa and in the red sea and other places um also worked for a little bit um as a tour tour guide uh i led um, tours to Turkey, which is <laughs> a lot of fun. And um, at some point, I also I was also teaching yoga. Um, and you know, just just jobs. Yeah, just piecing it together to, to explore the world. Exactly. Yeah, just a t- type of jobs that really helped me just to continue travel and and. Um, I didn't really need it to to be in one place for for a long time in, in order to to do that. And so, um, yes, and um, and then I think I got to a point in my life where I felt 
enough traveling and really feel that I want to do something that is more meaningful um, and, you know, to feel some sort of purpose right. in life. And so I was searching for something more spiritual, more more meaningful, and um, I started thinking about a project that will combine, you know, combine all of my passions and, um, you know, to exploration, to anthropology, traveling, uh, you know, living with indigenous people, um, and photography, and and that's how I've started to kind of create in my mind my my new project, my new destination. <laughs> and I remember creating a list of topics and that I was interested in exploring more in depth, uh, but relates to indigenous people. And one of the one of the topics in the list was the woman's world and in particular pregnancies and childbirth rituals and rite of passage rituals. And that's how I grew to love it and, and to to um, make it as my you know my my work. My life, my life work. <laughs> was there something you think that prompted the interest in pregnancy and childbirth? Because I, I almost is, it almost seems unusual. You know, I I know that sounds strange because as women we should be interested in all aspects of women, and as humans who you know want to experience everything about life, we should be interested in all aspects aspects of life. But I almost feel like that was an area I didn't even think about until I was ready to be a mother. So was there something that like drove you to want to study that specifically or is that just something that always intrigued you it wasn't always intriguing me and at that time I was definitely not thinking about um you know becoming a mother myself right um it wasn't you know it it didn't the the curiosity towards it didn't grow out of me you know, personally feeling that I want to become a mother or, um, you know, wanting to be pregnant or, um, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about that myself, but I honestly, I don't think there was one really specific moment in time where it was very clear, you know, of, of the reason of why, I chose this topic. Um, I think a lot of it was very intuitive. Um, and I just remember that looking at my list of topics, for some reason, that was one of the things that was just really interesting for me to explore. I was really um, just naturally curious to know and to see and to learn how these women experience birth, how does it actually happen yeah. in their own culture, in their own environment? Um, how do traditional midwives work? And I was just very drawn to that. I, I wanted to, I just remember that I wanted to see it. I wanted to be present at that moment. Um, I always knew there was something very powerful 
in that moment of giving birth. But, um, and so it was really just that. And obviously throughout the years working on the project, I've slowly, slowly came to know and understand why I've chosen this issue, why I'm really choosing it or, or the, why it chose me. <laughs> yeah. Why? Uh, I think, why? I think that, that slowly, slowly we've, I feel like that I've grown so much with the project. Um, And we also grew separately. It's like right now I feel that the project almost as if it has its own entity. It's like has its own voice. Um, It doesn't need me to be the leader of it. It doesn't you know, I'm just channeling it. I'm just, you know, a platform to kind of give it out to the world. But it's it's not coming through me. It's not it's not the way I see it, or it's not my interpretation. Um, I'm just, you know, sharing the information, just channeling it. But it's um, we are two separate things right now. <laughs> That's how I look at it and because there was a time right at the start where that where I felt very protective over the project and very um you know a sense of ownership on it but now it's completely the opposite I think yeah I think um I think that's the right thing for the project and now it's just beautiful to see how it evolves and what it becomes to be and what the future holds for it, which is not necessarily something that, you know, I would take a part of, but who knows? Yeah. So amazing yeah. how so many people say that about their, when they feel like they, they find that true thing that they were almost called upon to do. I, I've heard so many people say that, that they feel like it's like out of their hands, that they're co- almost like the vessel for it. I guess here's what I'm wondering. So uh, you you told me about this experience you had in Papua New Guinea and how so much of it was intuitive, but you know, you've covered so many different um, places in the world for Wildborn. And obviously it seems like there's a lot of logistics involved in planning these trips. So how how did you mm-hmm. arrange these trips to some of the most remote places on earth? How did you do that? And then make contact with the people in these tribes. And then not only that, but then convince women to welcome you into their private birth experience. So how did that, how does that happen? Well, you know, there's, there's, there was not a lot of convincing, uh, that needed to, to, to happen. Um, actually there was no convincing at all because I've always, my approach was always about, um, you know, First of all, um, when I arrive within a community, I arrive as Ali um, and not as a photographer and not as an anthropologist. Um, do you I work just, with a team? Is it just you or do you have someone with you? No, it's, it's, it's always been a solo work. Wow. So okay. I've, you know, I've, I have a great list of places and communities that I want to, I've always had. Uh, and the list just grows each year. But anyway, I'm, you know, <laughs> I've, I've always had this list of places and communities that I wanted to. I had, yeah, I had a very natural 
um, you know, curiosity towards, and I wanted to to kind of work and and share space with them and and learn from them. And it usually takes about a year to plan um, logistics and and to collect funds um, for those for those expeditions and. Until my last expedition to Siberia, all of my expeditions were self-funded. And so it requires a lot of planning, but to a certain point, I mean, there's still an element of unknown because um, a lot of these communities are quite remote and there's no way to contact them in advance. Um and so what, just to and so there's you for a, a second, what, tell me about some, like, what are some of the tribes? How remote? So you said Siberia, that's remote. Where else? So the most remote places I've been to um, are within Papua New Guinea. Um, for example, um, the Kosua, the Kosua people, um, definitely the most remote community I had to, I, I visited. So from Port Moresby, the capital city, um, I took another internal flight into a smaller, smaller city, and from there we um, hired a track with um, an armed, armed police officers who had to um, accompany us uh, to, to cross this part of, of the region because it's um, it's known to be very dangerous. And after several hours in that armed track, um, we got to we got to another small um, airport, and over there we we basically chartered a private plane. We hired a, a private, a small private plane to land us in literally in the middle of the jungle because there's no way, um, no roads or any any other access to to get to this community other than you know, flying and basically the landing field is is um is you know flattened grass that local people, you know, were were working out with a machete. So uh, it was a very bumpy landing, but um, so that was the most remote place that I've I've stayed with that I worked with. And then when you're in these places, what are your living conditions like? Are you bringing in your own equipment or are you actually just guests in these people's homes and eating their food? And how, so how does that work? Well, when I first arrived uh, within a community, I first, you know, introduced myself. Um, usually um, the first person to welcome you in a community is the leader of the community or the chief. And, you know, you sit with him and have a chat and, um, I, you know, it, I tell him about who I am, where I come from, and why I came. And I always say that, you know, I'm here for the woman and I'd like to work with the woman. And um, it's it's always, you know, I've always been welcome, welcomed um, and I've always been received in a very positive way, especially, um, you know, of wanting to work with women. It's something that was always very valued uh, within the community. And and then I usually ask for an introduction uh, with the women of the, of the village. And so I ask to, to gather the women 
um, young girls, elderly, and so on, and just to you know to tell my story and and you know to to share about who I am, and that's usually is the next step. And so after that, I just take some time. It can be a week. It can be two weeks to just you know completely immerse myself and live with them and not work as a photographer or as an anthropologist. I usually don't even take my camera out for the first week to take any photos. Um, you know, just spending time with with the woman, uh, learning to, to know each other, having some, you know, special moments, laughter. Uh, and obviously they are very curious about me as well. So, you know, they ask a lot of questions and we just are getting closer and closer. And, and usually throughout this process, um, there's always a few women who are, you know, the chemistry between us is very natural. And, you know, I find that they really want to continue um, spending the time with me and to, to work and, and to collaborate with me. And that's how it usually works. So I never enforce myself on these women. I never just show up at a place and say, look, I, I, I want you to work with me or you need to work with me. Or um, It's always, you know, first living with them and let them decide and choose whether they want to, to work with me or not. Um, and let them approach me first. So that's always been my approach. And I think that for me, there's no point going out, doing what I'm doing. Um, if I don't feel that it's, been reciprocated that we have that we have built relationship and friendship um, and if it's not something that these women feel happy or comfortable with um, because at the end of the day I do this because I have an extraordinary amount of love and admiration for these women for indigenous people in general yeah and um, and that shows through I your think, work I mean it's anyone yes. who looks at your work knows that so beautiful and yeah and and I think that they feel that and that's why it feels very natural to work together um and and you also have to usually yeah. hope that someone is expecting a child too right I mean or do you know that that's, in advance yes so that's one of the biggest challenges of working on a project you know sometimes you can I can I you know I had times where I've saved for a year and I you know planned for a year and I've traveled to a certain place and I didn't find a nine month pregnant woman. Um, and it happens because I can't really plan in advance and I don't know in advance if I'll find a nine month pregnant woman or right. if I will find her and she won't be interested to, to collaborate. And so, and so it happened a couple, a couple of times before, but you know, um, that's what makes the special that the, the moments that do work so special. Um, and, and that's why I appreciate it so much. And so, um, I usually have to travel from one community to another until I find a nine month pregnant woman. And then she needs to obviously feel comfortable and agree to, 
to work with me. Um, so it's, it's, um, you know, I had, I had situations where women preferred to, to stay away and that's totally fine. We are all different and, um, I totally respect that. And, you know, um, and then there are other women who it just, it feels very natural for them and they're, they want to be around me and they want to, you know, to, um, they're curious about what I do and they want to participate. Yeah. And so do you feel like they want their stories to be out there? Like why, why oh, do they absolutely. want to, why do they want to share the experience? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, 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 I've always, um, you know, most of the time I, I came across women who were, who were just, they were so grateful that, um, anyone expresses interest in them, you know, to, to begin with. Um, and they were even more surprised and more grateful when they knew that their stories are going to be heard by other women living in different countries so far away. Um, it was, it was a very exciting, um, you know, exciting thing for them to, 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 to know that they are able to, in this way, share their stories and communicate and tell about their lives. Because up to that point, nobody really cared. Nobody really knew. Nobody, they didn't have the, um, the opportunity to, to cross countries, cross continents with, with their stories. And, and a lot of them are very, very interested to share, share their stories. And do they and realize... They and sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I mean, they want their voices to be heard, and they also want it to, you know, they want the experience to be even bigger. You know, they they would have been extremely happy to continue sharing their stories and to to welcome other women into their communities and to to continue that kind of interaction. Uh, but unfortunately, it's so complicated. Um, and that's why the idea to create a nonprofit and to start bringing um, a woman from, you know, our society into their homes and to share experiences and um, to create something together, that, that's where it came from. Okay, so tell me about that, because I, I'd love to have you end with that. Tell me about this new nonprofit and what's next for Wildborn and also just what's next for you? Will Noah be coming with you on all of these travels? <laughs> oh, well, first of all, in the evolution of Wildborn, I, th I feel that definitely the next step will be to, and it, it is currently we are transitioning the project into a nonprofit. Um, it's going to be registered in Australia and, um, one of the main purposes of the organization is really to open this project, this wonderful project, to so many other women around the world um, and to create an opportunity for them to join um, join me or other um, women in the field and to have some um, knowledge ex exchange. And it's really a, a meetup point between indigenous women and women coming from other societies, and um, and so 
this cultural immersion and knowledge exchange is only one part of the organization, but there's also um, a more humanitarian, holistic uh, purpose for the organization and is to um, bring doulas and midwives um, to work with traditional midwives and to learn from each other, but also to create very safe, holistic birthing spaces where they're needed. Um, and this is something that was born out of so many, um, you know, letters that I've been receiving from so many midwives and doulas from all around the world who are wanting to join me on a field and and work with me and work with this woman and help in any way that they can. So this organization will create that beautiful platform that will enable non-traditional midwives and traditional midwives to work together and to learn from each other. Um, so hopefully it's just creating an opportunity to empower women from all parts of the world in everything that relates to you know, women's woman to the woman's world, and in particular to um, um, mothers. That sounds so exciting and so needed too, because I think you know we feel in the modern world like we're losing our connection to to who we were as people. And and I, you know, I'm sure you know from your work that that the women who live in these places feel like they can learn something from. There are not all everything about our culture is horrible, you know, and that, that there must be Absolutely. some way we can learn from each other and to move forward. So I, I think that's such an seems like such a natural evolution for your work and so exciting. And I would love to, when that gets going, have the opportunity to join you in the field one day. That that will be extraordinary. Yeah. I would love for you to join. Absolutely. Thank you. And and for me, you know, other than um, working hard on on creating the organization, I'm definitely planning to take Noah with me to my next destination. Um, I'm very excited about that, and I think it will be a completely new experience to to kind of learn and and experience things through Noah's eyes and um, I'm also really looking forward to see the reaction of of people within the community and and how they react to to Noah how they accept him and how that dynamic in their relationship will change or transform or you know <laughs> um because because I'm a mother myself, because I'm traveling with, with a baby. So I'm, I'm very curious about that. And I'm very, very excited about that. Yeah. Well, from what I know, babies are great icebreakers. So I'm sure it'll <laughs> exactly. work. To, I'm sure it'll work to your benefit. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, so this has been so lovely. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today with everything that's going on. Um, before we go, just tell everyone where they can follow you, your work. You know, I, I think th there's a book coming out too. Is that right? Yes, there is a book coming out uh, next June with uh, Shield Publishing, and um, it's very, very exciting. We've been waiting for this book to, you know, to announce for for a long time, and um, the book is going to follow my journey in Siberia, uh, where I documented Lena's journey when she was nine months pregnant, all throughout her um, birth, 
Um, and of course, the book is also going to explore issues of climate change um, and the way progress is influencing their migratory lives and how you know how it ultimately threatens their lives. So, um, really, a, a book which I'm very, very proud of and working very, very hard towards. Um, of course, people can follow the Wildborn Project and everything um, that relates to the organization. If anyone thinking or wanting to participate or is interested, um, just go to the Wildborn Project, which is www.wildbornproject.com, or of course they, they can follow um, they can follow us on social media. Instagram page is the same Wildborn Project, and they're welcome to send me an email or just leave a message. I'm happy to, happy to, yes. And what's the title of the book? So, well, um, well, or you don't we know had yet. A title. Yes, we had a title, but we are now considering changing the title. So, um, yeah. Okay, so stay tuned. <laughs> look, exactly. look on Ali's website and on Instagram. And uh, well, as soon as we can, we'll post the links to everything on our site as well. Thank Wonderful. you so Just much. I wish you all the best. Thank you, Jennifer. It was great talking to you and I'm so glad you invited me. It was a wonderful experience. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio so you don't miss the next one. And please don't forget to leave us a rating and review. If you want to talk more about this episode or have an idea for a future show, head on over to my Instagram page. That's at Jennifer Grayson one as with every episode, the resources and links for the show are available at jennifergrayson.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter, which comes out once a month. Our theme music is by composer Paul Damien Hogan. That's it for me, and I'll be back soon with a new episode.